0: Thanks so much for listening to the Summit Church Podcast. We are in a series called Revival, because revival is the need of the hour. You can't plan revival. You can't manufacture or produce revival, but you can prepare for it. And we are preparing for revival. We are asking God to get our hearts ready for a genuine move of His Spirit And so each week in our revival series, we're talking about the process of revival. This is part two. And before we jump into today's episode, I want to encourage you to sit back and listen after today's sermon towards the end. Uh, We're going to give some info about some upcoming podcasts and some content that you want to hear and check out this week. The best way to make sure you never miss an episode of any podcast we put out at Summit is hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast go ahead hit the subscribe button right now let's jump in thanks for listening
1: 1842 there was a uh, a businessman named jeremiah lanfear in new york city and jeremiah lanfear gives his life to jesus and he was a businessman jeremiah lanfear worked right in wall street and he worked in Wall Street. He was a businessman for 20 years, and he gives his life to Jesus, and, and he gives his life to Jesus, and God literally breaks Jeremiah Lanfear's heart for everybody that worked around him on Wall Street, for the men and the women that worked around him. He just he just got a heart for all the people that he saw every day that he worked with that didn't know Jesus, all the lostness there on Wall Street that he was surrounded by in New York City, and so Jeremiah Lanfear uh, he just gets this holy discontent if you remember last week the first fra- the first phase rather of revival he gets this holy discontent he starts to see New York City the way that God sees New York City as he says I think that God would want to do something here and so Jeremiah Lanfair starts a prayer meeting and he starts a weekly prayer meeting it's going to meet every Wednesday from twelve to one, literally just one hour, because that's their lunch break, and their lunch break, and they're on a really strict, uh, strict schedule. So, so every Wednesday from twelve to one, he was going to get people together just to pray that God would move in New York City. He prints off thousands of flyers. He takes weeks to go and pass these flyers out. Gets ready for the very first prayer meeting. He gets to the location of the prayer meeting. Twelve o'clock comes and no one shows up. Twelve o five rolls around and nobody shows up. And fast forward, one person walks in the door. And it gets to 1 o'clock, and by the time it gets to 1 o'clock, six people have come. And the prayer meeting's over, everybody has to go back to work. But he made the commitment to do it every single week, so he does it again next Wednesday. And that next Wednesday, 20 people show up. And they continue in this rhythm of having a prayer meeting every Wednesday from 12 to 1. Just a bunch of people who work on Wall Street seeking God together. And then on October the 10th, 1857, the stock market crashed. And when the stock market crashed in October of 1857, it shifted the environment of New York City. People lost everything. There was hopelessness that was just pervasive in the city. And that weekly prayer meeting started to grow at such a pace that it became a daily prayer meeting with at least 3,000 people every day right in Wall Street seeking God together. And that led to what is today known as the businessman's revival. It starts in New York City, but it begins to spread south. It literally goes all over the country. Some estimate that in one year, over a million people give their life to Jesus as a result of this businessman that meets Jesus, gets holy discontent, starts praying for New York City, and God pours out revival. Revival. See, we're in a series called Revival. We're talking about the phases that lead to revival. We'll say it every week. You can't manufacture revival. You can't fake it, but you can prepare for it. The first stage of revival we saw last week is holy discontent. When you are so in tune with the heart of God that you start to get God's heart for your community, for your home, for where you work, and what breaks God's heart starts to break your heart a little bit. That's holy discontent. Holy discontent, though, is not revival. Holy discontent, if God's really in it, holy discontent will lead to the second phase of revival. And that's exactly what got Jeremiah Lanfear to start a prayer meeting. That second phase of revival is called contending. Now, what is contending? I love what Mark Sayers says. Again, Mark Sayers, author, pastor in Australia. He says this, contending means to stretch or fight for something. We come to the point where we realize that our lives, our faith, our churches, and our culture cannot be changed by anything else but the presence of God. We wish for nothing but His presence. And so watch this. We position and posture ourselves as contenders for His presence. See, this is where Josiah is. So if you missed last week, we, we are in this whole series in two chapters of the Bible, 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. So you can go ahead and open up a Bible, turn it on. 2 Chronicles chapter 34 is where we are. We're looking at a revival literally started by a teenager. Remember last week, King Josiah at the age of 16 starts seeking God. He just goes through this personal revival. He's seeking the Lord, and he gets wholly discontent. Uh, he starts going around and tearing down the idols and places of worship to other gods all throughout Judah and Jerusalem. And Josiah today begins to move into the second phase of revival contending. And so here's what we're going to do. If you got a Bible open, go ahead and open it up, turn it on, whatever. 2 Chronicles 34. Now we're going to read a pretty good chunk of Scripture. All right? 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to start in verse 8. And go all the way down to verse 33. Just from the looks on your faces, I can tell you are ready for it. Let's go, y'all. Let's do this. All right? 2 Chronicles 34, 8 to 33. Words are on the screen. Hopefully you got a Bible near you. In the eighth year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple... He sent Shaphan, son of Azalea, and Messiah, Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of jo- Joahaz. Again, I'm just I, you just do this. You know what I'm saying? You just try and you hope you don't break anything. The recorder to repair the temple of the Lord is God. We're going to read this and then we'll go back and recap it. If you're like, I don't understand what we're reading. We'll go back and unpack it after we read the whole thing. Verse 9. They went to Hilkiah the high priest and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the gatekeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from all the people of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dressed stone and timber for joists and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The workers labored faithfully over them to direct them. To direct them were Jahath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Meriah, and Zechariah and Meshulam descended of Kohath. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge of the laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes, and gatekeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king. This is a big deal. We'll come back. And reported to him, your officials are doing everything that's been committed to them. They paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and trusted it to supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. Really significant that all he says is has given me a book. He doesn't know what the book is. We'll come back. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, and son of Micah. Shaphan, the secretary, and Asaiah, the king's attendants, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that's poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that's written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokath, son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter, and she said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man you, Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made, my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all of his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So that was a lot. And so what happens is Josiah experiences this revival. We started on it last week. And he begins to go to Jeru- go through Jerusalem, tearing down all of these idols that have been places of worship to other gods. And then what Josiah does, this is where we just read. Josiah knows that the temple, so the place of worship, is in ruins. They they just let it go. It's in ruins. It's been destroyed. And so Josiah gives money for the temple to begin to be rebuilt. And as as they're rebuilding the temple, they're digging through all of these ruins. They're putting things back and, you know, all this reconstructive work. And they find the book of the law. What is the book of the law? It's the Bible. It's literally the Torah. It's literally the first five books in your Bible right now. So they find the law, a massive scroll, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It had been lost for a long time. And nobody knew where it was. And it had been gone so long. Did you notice we highlighted it? When it's found, they bring the book to the king and they say, look, we found a book. They don't say, we found the law. Now, now one of the priests knew it, but the person who delivered it to the king says, look, we, hey, we found this book. I don't know if it's a big deal. And then Josiah begins to read from the law. He tears his robes. We talked about repentance last week. He tears his robes because instantly he knows this is the law that's been lost. Tears his robes because it's a sign of repentance. He sees how far all the people have gotten from God. He knows this is a really big deal. So he sends people to this prophetess. It's a woman. Women are prophets too, okay? He sends people, he sends some of his representatives to a prophetess named Huldah to inquire. What's God saying about this? What's God saying to us right now? And Huldah looks at him and says, listen, God is going to judge the people because of their disobedience. Because they have wandered away from God, God is going to judge them. But I love the verse that we read. Did you see what Huldah said? But tell the king, because his heart was responsive to God, because he tore his robe as soon as he read the book, and he was repentant before the Lord, because the king repented and had a responsive heart to me, tell him, I will not pour that judgment out during his lifetime. And so they send this message back to the king, and Josiah calls everybody together. And all of a sudden, it goes from just Josiah experiencing revival to the passage ends, and everybody, Josiah gathers everyone together, and they all, the entire city of Judah, all of God's people here, they are recommitting themselves back to God. So the revival is spreading. Real revival doesn't just land on somebody and stay and die with one person. Revival always goes viral. It always spreads, and it is spreading into the people. And they are now moving into this place of contending for the presence of God. we got to rebuild the temple. We need to begin to listen and obey this book of the law that we just found. It's been lost for generations, and they all come together, and they renew their commitment to the Lord, and they're all contending together for God. But here's a question that I've got. Man, how do you get to the place where it's that bad? How do you get to the place where you lose the only Bible you got? Y'all know there was no printing press, right? The, nobody had the U version Bible. It was like literally a scroll. Like literally, we got one copy, bro. That's all we got. How do you lose the Bible and then go to sleep at night and not even think about it? I can't lose the remote and live my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you, how does it get to the place where the temple, the place of worship is in ruins and they're like, ah, it ain't no big deal. And they lose. How do you get here? And the way that you get here, at least for the people of Judah, the way that they got here is the people of Judah started to just consume the culture that surrounded them. If you're taking notes, write this down. The opposite of contending is consuming. So the opposite of contending is consuming. So if contending is to fight for something, consuming is just to take in everything happening around you, and you're not thinking at all of what is this doing to me? Think about it. The air that we breathe as Americans is consumerism, isn't it? like like all we do is consume we consume netflix we consume disney plus we consume books and music and we consume food and and as christians we can consume sermons and we can consume all these devotionals online we can consume christian music we can consume all of this christian content but the question that we need to ask ourselves is are we being changed by the content we're consuming listen the question of the hour not for the church but for every human being alive is who am i becoming who am I becoming? And as followers of Jesus, listen to this, we are either being formed, shaped into the image of Jesus, or we're being deformed into another image. And if I am not being shaped into the image of Jesus, I am being deformed into the image of the world, and the way that happens is to just consume everything around me, just to consume everything around us. See, this is a really significant moment. This is a really this is something really important that we have to consider. Here's the thing. Lord willing, praying very soon we will be on the other side of COVID-19. But for many people, the bitterness and the anger and the rage and the division that we have been discipled in, in the past 18 months, we will take it to the other side. Why? Because we are becoming certain kinds of people. At all times. At all times. Christian, non-Christian, we are all becoming certain kinds of people. And we are either being shaped into the image of Jesus or deformed into the image of the world. Now here's why this is a big problem. This is a big problem because consumers will never contend for revival. Consumers will never contend for revival. Why is that? Look again at verse 21. I think we we might be able to put it on the screen here if we can. Look at verse 21 uh, here. Look at this little detail that they throw in about the previous generation. Verse 21, there it is. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant of Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that's been found. Watch this, here it is. Great is the Lord's anger that's been poured out on us, Because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that's written in the book of the law. Another sermon for another day, but it's really interesting to me how God holds this generation accountable for the sins of another generation that's dead and gone. Another sermon for another day, but that just stands out to me. But do you see what happens here? Josiah is talking about a generation that's dead and gone. This former generation, watch this. They believed the law. They, this is the generation that would have had it, and this is the generation that loses it. See, the only way you can lose the only copy of the law that you have, and it's all right with you, is if you believe the law, and you go to temple, and you amend the law, but you don't do what the
0: law says.
1: See, the way that you can lose it and just consume it is to obey. to, is to hear the law preached and, and to believe it and to amen it, but to never do what it says. See, if you're taking notes, write this down. In consumer Christianity, acknowledging the truth replaces obeying it. Consumer Christianity is where we listen to sermons, we read Christian books, we listen to Christian music, but we don't do the stuff that we know. We amen it, we talk about it, We post about it on Facebook, but obedience to it, well, that's optional. That's optional. And so we'll amen stuff like the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies, but loving my enemies, I don't know if I'm going to do it, right? Be a peacemaker. I'll amen that sermon all day long, but listen, listen, I don't know if I'm going to do it, right? Cast all your anxieties on the Lord. The Bible needs to get real. They don't know me, apparently. Right? In consumer Christianity, agreeing with the truth, acknowledging the truth, amening the truth is fine, but obedience to the truth is optional. Even though Jesus will say stuff like John 14 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here's the thing consumer Christianity is so dangerous because it looks like Christianity and it smells like Christianity but it's not Christianity. Again, Jesus, Luke 6:46, why do you call me lord, lord, look at this, but do not do what I say. Why do you call me lord, lord, but you don't do what I say? So really practically, let's just talk as a church. We're going to do this in just a second. Really practically as a church, at the end of every single service, I always take a moment and I lead people in what's called the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. There is no verse in the Bible that has the sinner's prayer in it. So Mark, why do you lead people in the sinner's prayer every week? Because in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, it says if we believe in our hearts that Jesus died for, died for our sins and God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. How do you believe in your heart and confess with your lips? One way to do that is prayer. And so many times, people talk to me, and they'll say, "Mark, listen. I know I need to, I need Jesus in my life. I know I need to get saved, but I don't know what to do." So that prayer that we pray at the end, that moment where we lead people in the sinner's prayer—anybody who wants to respond to Jesus—that is just a time. That's just a time where I am trying to practically help people who want to give their life to Jesus do it, but they may not know how to do it. But listen to me: praying the sinner's prayer, giving your life to Jesus is a step, not the finish line. Baptism, we saw baptism last week in the second service. Baptism is a step, not the finish line. Listen, we can't settle for a Christianity that receives Jesus, receives the forgiveness of God, and then we think that the whole thing is just about waiting to go to heaven when we die. No, listen, Jesus doesn't save us so that we can wait to go to heaven when we die. Jesus saves us and calls us to follow him daily. Amen? To follow him every day, to carry our cross every day. Mark, how do I follow Jesus every day? Do what he says. By the power of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to do this. Help me to live this way. This isn't just stuff I'm supposed to agree with. Holy Spirit, help me to begin to live this way. The fruit of the Spirit is not amening in church, even though preachers love amens. Just a l- little side note. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What is it? It's transformation. And transformation happens through obedience, renewing our mind, walking in the Spirit. So those things, receiving Jesus, baptism, even church on Sunday, every single week, is a step towards the finish line, not the finish line itself. Does that make sense? That's, that's so huge. Does it really make sense? Because if not, we'll stop right now, so it'll make sense. This is so huge because, watch this, in Bible Belt Christianity, which is in eastern Kentucky, where Christianity is an assumed part of the culture, acknowledgement to the Bible and agreeing with Christianity is enough. It is not enough. It is not enough. Transformed lives by the power of the Spirit. That's what God is after. It's not enough to acknowledge the truth. Jesus wants us to obey it. Consumers will never contend for revival. Revival. And so what needs to happen is we want to see revival in our day is we need to move out of consuming and into contending. We need to move out of consuming and into contending. All over this passage, we won't put it on the screen because there's too many verses, but in verse 29, it says that Josiah got all of the elders together to seek God. In verse 30, all of the people of Judah and the inhabitants. Verse 32, he had everyone pledge themselves to renew their commitment to God. Verse 33, all who were present in Israel began to serve the Lord their God. They went from consuming the culture and all the culture's idols to saying, listen, this is our responsibility. We need to seek God for ourselves. We need to beg God for his presence in our lives. And watch this. Because they begged God and renewed their commitment to him and started to contend for the presence of God, God did not send the judgment that he was going to send to that generation. Think about that for a minute. Their prayers saved an entire generation. Do you realize that your contending can impact generations? Listen, somebody in here, God could grip somebody's heart. God could give somebody in this room holy discontent for Perry Central, and Perry Central could be changed because somebody in this church is blocking out time to get on their knees before the face of God for that school. Amen? Or your school, or your family, or where you work, wherever it is. Listen, your prayers, your contending can impact the generations in eastern Kentucky. Your prayers, your contending, you may die and go into the presence of the Lord, but listen, your prayers live on after you go, amen? And your prayers could be the seed that one day leads to the harvest of revival that results in an entire generation meeting Jesus. And the trajectory and the story of an entire region is changed because the previous generation contended for God to move amen does that make sense so how do you contend this is easy the way you contend is in prayer the way that we contend is in prayer why 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 is the reason that we contend in prayer see the reason that we contend is in prayer because so many times we're used to our plans So many times we settle for what we can do. So many times we settle for our vision of things. Listen, we don't need our vision. We need God's vision. Hello? We need need earth to look more like heaven. That's not coming through human strategy. That is coming by the power of the Spirit. We don't need what we can do. We need what God can do. And so we need to cry out for the presence of God. And you remember what we said last week? All it takes, all it takes for this to happen is one hungry person. And it it ain't got to be me. It doesn't have to be the pastor. It doesn't have to be a leader. It can be a businessman on Wall Street who looks around and says something's got to change. I'm going to start a prayer meeting next Wednesday. It can be a mom. It can be a grandma. It can be a dad. It can be a boss. It can be a CEO. It can be somebody that walks out of their house and realizes that when they get up early on Sunday, all their neighbors are still sleeping in. And as you think about the conversations you've had with your neighbors in the decades you've lived in your house, you realize I don't think anybody around me lives. In, no, anybody lives around me knows Jesus. And all of a sudden, God gives you holy discontent for your subdivision, your neighborhood, or wherever you live at. And all of a sudden, you just begin to contend for the presence of God for your neighbors. And all of a sudden, your neighbors start getting saved. The way that we can. Intend is prayer, and all it takes, Summit, is one hungry person. And so if God is calling us to be a church of prayer, to be a people of prayer, then what we need to do is we need to build environments. We need to build places of prayer in our church. This is one of the reasons why we're doing something like 24-7 prayer. In 24-7 prayer, you can open up the Summit app. You can sign up for it right now. Tomorrow we'll put out a, uh, we'll put out a new prayer guide for the week, but 24-7 prayer is where people are signing up to say, hey, I'll pray for this time slot, I'll pray for this hour or these 30 minutes, and I'll just seek God right there at my house. Or maybe it's while you're at work and you're walking around, you're doing tasks, but you're just in prayer. You could even be in school in prayer at the same time. But 24-7 prayer, it's this idea that at any point of any given day, somebody somewhere is seeking God for revival. Man, I want to challenge everybody to be a part of it. You're going to hear us announce more places of prayer, more environments of prayer, more opportunities as a church where we can lean into and contend and beg God for revival. But let me start here, and we're done. Let me start here, and we'll give you one question to kind of wrap all this up, apply it to your life, and it's this question for you. Where has God put you that you need to begin contending for? Where has God put you that you need to begin contending for? Can I tell you an assumption that I make about every one of us? Wherever you are is where God wants you to be. That's an assumption that I make. Now, you may hate where you are, and you may not be there much longer, but you're there today. Amen? You're there today. And I just believe that God is so sovereign that God has put you where you are to be a temple of the Holy Spirit in that office building, in that environment, in that home where you're the only family member who wakes up every Sunday, wants to seek Jesus, and wants to know Jesus Christ. I believe that God's put you where you are. Where has God put you that you need to begin contending for? So school started this week. Well, a lot of people, if school didn't start this week, maybe it started the week before that. School started this week. Maybe you're a teacher, and maybe you work in a school with several other teachers, and maybe you can begin some kind of thing, some text opportunity, or maybe before you get to school, I don't know what it might look like, but maybe like a minute or two once a week where teachers are getting together to pray for their school, or maybe you can't physically get together, but you just make an agreement, hey, listen, wherever you are Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock, just breathe in and breathe out a prayer for our school and begin to continue. Contend for your school. Wherever you work, begin to contend for where you work. Pray pray for your boss. Pray for your boss. Some of y'all are like, listen, I'm praying for my boss. You better believe it. Change that prayer. Change that prayer. Hello? Change the dial on that prayer, right, that God would move in your boss's life. Pray for your, your coworkers. Pray for the people that you work with. Pray for the people you go to school with. If you're on a team, pray for the people on your team. Where has God put you that you need to begin contending for? And our time of response this morning is simply this. I want to challenge you to begin to pray for wherever God has put you today. Maybe you're here Maybe you're here, and just in a moment of reflection, you realize that every single goal and hope and dream you have for your kids, none of them have anything to do with the kingdom of God. And you need to start contending for your children that they would be men and women of God. If that's you here in just a moment, I want to challenge you to get up out of your seat and come up here and contend for your kids at the altar. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it is your boss. Maybe it is your co-workers. And as we're talking right now, you realize, you know what? I've never prayed for everybody that I work with to get saved. I've never done it. I've never prayed that my boss would receive Jesus as Lord. I've never prayed for this one person. that We, they had, a, we had a conflict a couple of years ago. I've never prayed for God to move in their life. I've never prayed for my school. I've never prayed for Hazard, Kentucky. But God is moving in your heart right now, opening up your mind to the possibility that you could be the person who begins to sow seeds of prayer that leads to a harvest of revival. So in this time of response this morning, I want to challenge you that wherever God has put you, would you consider contending for that place? And even this morning, getting up out of your seat, coming up to this altar, and just praying for whoever that pla- whoever those people are, or whatever that place is, or making your, al- your chair an altar this morning, and begin the work of contending right here today. Would you pray with me today? God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would just grip our hearts with this idea, this idea of contending, that God, we're not here for ourselves. We're not here to consume. And it's so easy to fall into that mindset. God, it's too easy to fall into the mindset of consuming church services so that we leave, oh, that was good, that was great, it wasn't as good as last weekend, And we judge it based on some performance criteria rather than asking, God, what are you saying to me? What do I do as a result of what we sang? What do I do as a result of what we saw in 2 Chronicles 34? Who do I need to start contending for? Father, I pray that you would remove us out of consumerism and into contending. God, all it takes is one hungry person to get a vision for their school, their kids, their family, their spouse where they work, where they live, where they play. God, that we're gripped with such a vision that it puts us on our knees. That it causes us to cry out to you. And so God, wake up the hunger that we would contend. And somebody in this time of response, let me ask you, where has God put you that you need to begin contending for. And what if that work of contending started right now in this moment? So maybe you have a place or a people in your mind. Would you begin to pray for them right now? Right here in this moment, I want to challenge anybody that would, get up out of your seat, and just on behalf of people that are probably not even here, is there anybody in this room who would say, you know what, I'm going to begin begin to contend for this people, this place, and just on their behalf, Get up out of your seat and come up and pray for them they're not even here and they don't even know you're going to do it people are moving right now they don't even know you're doing it but the lord of heaven knows and that is enough you are sowing seed and can i tell you that you with that heart of contending the holy spirit is already at work the holy spirit is already moving and so father as people are moving to contend God, break our hearts, break our hearts for the addict, break our hearts for families in need of you this morning, break our hearts for the next generation, God, break our hearts for people who are looking for money and popularity and the things of this world to do for them what only you can do for them, God, break our hearts, God, break our hearts for this church. Not that we think we're more holy or more spiritual than anybody else but god would you just break our hearts for us as a church that we would see more power in it more of the spirit in it more of your work in it and not just our heart uh, not just our church but the church break our hearts to see you send revival in every church God, wake up the hunger that we would be people of contending. Let's just take a second as as people are praying and give you an opportunity to go to God on behalf of people and places this morning. God, help us to contend. And as we're just continuing to pray, maybe you're here. And maybe you would say that you believe that God is real. You enjoy church. You like to come. You you even believe the Bible. But do you know Jesus Christ personally? Do you have a relationship with him? Has He sent the Spirit of God in your life and you've experienced His love and His forgiveness? Can I just tell you, if not, you can today. The good news is that He's here and He's available to you today. And you can come to Him just as you are right now in this moment. Right there in that seat, you can come to Him. And so right now today, if you know you need Jesus in your life, don't let anybody talk you out of it. Don't wait. Say, I'll do it next week. No, right now, today is the day of your salvation. If you know you need Jesus, don't let anything get in the way of you coming to Him today because He is ready to receive you. And this is that moment that I talked about in the sermon. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, but you're just really not sure what to say or, or how to do it, the Bible does say, if we confess with our lips, Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. That's what God said, not what I say. And so right now, if you want to confess with your lips in prayer that Jesus is Lord and receive His forgiveness, just pray this prayer with me right where you're at. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me today. I give my life to you right now be my Lord and help me to follow you starting today. Thank you for loving me and for saving me and for filling me with your Spirit. And Father, I pray that as we wrap up this service, God, I pray that you would write on our hearts what it means to contend Wake up the hunger in this church that we would be people who contend for your presence instead of just consuming it. God, that we'd start to contend in prayer for this region like we've never had. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Someone, I want to ask you to do something, and and I know I ask you to do this every week, and so because I ask every week, a lot of you are like, well, I know what he's going to say, so forget it. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm going to tune him out. Um, But I believe in this. I want to ask you if you would do something this morning. If if you came up or if you didn't, but you say, you know what, man, I need to start contending for this place, these people, whatever it is, I want you to grab a connection card right now. Somewhere near you is a connection card, okay? And on that card, I want you to write down on the back of it, I am going to contend for and put it down. And man, can I just tell you that, at least for me, I'm a big journaler, I write in a journal what God's doing in my life all the time, and man, God just uses, when I I take a pen and write it down, God, I am going to do this, and I put it down physically, I can look at it. Um, Man, that does something in your heart, it solidifies it in a way. And there are volunteers already at each set of doors. Drop those connection cards in, or you can text your connect card to that number But I would challenge you to tell somebody. And we would love to know so that we can contend with you. So that we can begin to pray for them that place too. All right, And so let us know. Put it on your connection card. Text it in. Drop it off in the offering plates as you leave. Let's just go out of this place with the resolve to just be people who contend. To contend in prayer for the presence of God. All right, and man, thank you guys so much for being here. Now, now listen, maybe you're here and you're brand new to Summit. Maybe you've been coming for a couple of weeks or maybe even longer than a couple of weeks, but church is new for you or you're saying, man, I would like to, I'd like to know what it looks like to follow Jesus or maybe get involved in church, that sort of thing. I want to invite you to something that we do regularly called First Step. First step is the last Sunday of this month, so August 29th. It happens between the 9.30 and 11.00 service. Uh, It starts about 10.35, something like that, in one of our kids' rooms, and it lasts about 15 minutes. It's two Sundays, so that would be August the 29th and September the 5th. You can sign up in the Summit app. It's online. You can let us know at the welcome area or... You can just show up and just be crazy and say, boom, I didn't even sign up. I just came, and we would love it, all right? And so, but I want to invite you to First Step. If you're brand new or you're like, man, I would like to grow or just know what, you know, got questions. Anything at all, that environment is for you. It's in a couple of weeks, all right? Hey, thank you guys so much for being here. God bless you all. I'll be at the welcome area. We will be there after service. Any questions, anything we can do for you, please stop by. Let us know. God bless you all. You are dismissed. Go with the Lord.
0: You know, I think it's so important that we keep in mind that the goal of even something like listening to a sermon podcast is not to get more information. It's not even to say, hey, that's a good sermon or that's a good podcast. It's transformation. And transformation happens that by the power of the spirit we would do what jesus says we would be obedient we would take up our cross and follow him and and we do it out of love not not out of duty or you know we're you know like some chore that we hate we obey because his ways are good because he's faithful he's worth it and he's worthy of it and we love him and so one of the things that we want to help our church with you our listeners just anybody that might jump into the podcast is how do you pray so many people are intimidated by prayer don't know what to do when they pray contending prayer is something that you might hear and think man i'm in how do i do it so stay tuned for some podcasts this week and in the upcoming weeks where we just talk about how to pray and try to flesh this out and just try to get some real practical help. And so that's coming up in the Summit Church Podcast. Remember to subscribe because this is not just a podcast of sermons. There's different podcast content coming your way. Make sure to hit the subscribe button. We'd love to know what you think. Leave a rating and review wherever you listen. See you next time.